being a seasoned writer for so many years, um, well, what were the challenges that you faced in coming up with such a what what your fans would say uh, such a masterpiece for Tresse? I guess it was the first couple of stories. <clears throat> the first couple of stories was me digging up all of my old stuff, and I guess the funny thing was that before. Alexandra Trese came along, I was trying to write uh, a bunch of horror stories, ghost stories, and, and urban fantasy type stories, but I could never find a way to end it. And I think when I figured out I need a, um, and I read somewhere, I think it was a how to, one of those, how to write a movie script book. <laughs> they said, who is the vehicle of the audience into the world, into the world you're creating? So in the, the example that book gave us Luke Skywalker, he said, uh, in Star Wars, Luke Skywalker is the audience's understanding, you know, the entire world of Star Wars. I think now that I think about it more, I think it's actually R2 and C-3PO, right? Yeah. So when I realized I needed a vehicle to un- to enter this supernatural Manila, it was Alejandro Trece. Then everything came together, and that was mainly book one. Um, uh, even even uh, even the Black Darna, even our secret constellation started. Uh, we all he made fun of that with the movie. Dolphy made fun of you know that him getting the stone with Darna Kuno. And, yeah, yeah. But I just thought that, you know, what if there was a more, you know, uh, heart-wrenching reason for Ding to get the stone? Right. And yes, sometimes, uh, sometimes uh, you know, it's when people have the best of intentions, that's when all things go down, you know, a bad route sometimes. Right, that's true. Uh, and, that's, and that became the premise of, of our secret constellation in present. Um. It just became a bit harder. It became harder when we finally hit book three, for example. It's so hard for readers to enter a comic book series now because you need to know that he's the son of this guy and they traveled back in time and had another son and now that's the, you know, it's just, right, right. It's just really complicated, right? Um, so, so he said, we should have more comics that um, people can read, have fun, and just in case they never get to read the next issue, it's a good experience. Right. Um, and if you think about it, that's what he did with Global Frequency. And that's what he did with Planetary. But the great thing he did with that is that if you read through the entire story arc of those issues, even though they're all standalone, it builds up a mythology mm. of, of that particular world. And there's a big finish. Well, that's what he did in Planetary. So I guess that's me following the gospel of Warren Ellis. Uh, when we got to book three, I had the hardest time trying to fit the Kambal's origin in 20 pages. Uh-huh. So when I tried to fit it into 20 pages, it felt like the Kambal needed, oh, maybe they need another 20. Ah, uh, no, they need another 20. Right, Oops. right. We're now 100 pages. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was the first time we got to do, yeah, I guess if you think about it, that was the first time we released a book with one long story arc. Um, and I would see it more as um, book one and two was us doing 
uh, a sprint. And then finally, book three was us finally doing, having enough energy and experience to do a marathon. Right. Um, so I guess that, I mean, I would, I would, you know, and that's what I'm trying to do now uh, with, with uh, since we have taken a, <laughs> a long break in between book six and seven, we're trying to do little sprints now before we, we can, you know, gear up again to do a marathon. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it helps to stockpile on ideas. It helps to have a little notebook with all of your little ideas and just to, just so that uh, one writer said it, you allow those ideas to marinate, you know, <laughs> in your brain. Right. Uh, right. Just so that so when you need them, they will eventually, you know, be ready if you want to continue the whole marination uh, uh, metaphor. <laughs> you know, actually, it, it gave me a, a very good perception of, of what it's like because I'm currently right now, <clears throat> excuse me, currently right now I'm, I'm trying to write something for a little project that I have, uh, well, that we have. We're trying to come up with this little project that requires a story that's also based on Philippine mythology. Um, and we're, we're trying to, what I'm trying to achieve is to get bits and pieces of, of, of pop culture that's already existing and, and you know natural mythology that has grown organically in the Philippines with a little bit of historical context into it and putting it into this little project that we have, which hopefully will materialize sometime you know later this year and early next year. Um, and, and I'm well into Act 1, Part 2. <laughs> that's the best I could come up with right now um, but I, I would say it's a very interesting story I put a lot of influences from the movies that I watched before all about Philippine mythology and encantos and all of that um, but but if you were to you know give me advice um, and, and a lot of people are out there trying to trying to write their own stories and they would love to hear from you um, what advice would you give us to those who would like to be just like you you know just to just to know how to write good stories uh, that would want to show their take on whatever view that they want to write about now our bit is more of the supernatural and, and more pop culture-esque but um, you know what, what would Bujetan be telling them if they were to write their own stories I have a weird feeling that if you ask Kajo this, this question his answer would be he, uh, I love his answer he said there are only two people that are important. Whenever we make a Tresa story, there are only two people that, that we think about. And those two people are guys named Budget and Kajo. And I, <laughs> and I think that's what finally made it, that's what initially made it easy for us to work on Tresa because we, we did it for fun. We didn't think, we weren't thinking of, oh, is this going to go international? Is this going to be, you know, is this going to be like, a, um, you know, is it going to be the, the, the you know, a crazy successful comic book? We just, we did it because we wanted to have fun. And I think that's, that's the most important thing first. Um, that the first audience you need to satisfy is yourself. Um, you can feel it. I mean, uh, my <laughs> my favorite uh, story is that when I was writing the story about the the chanak in the mall, when I finally ah, got to the yeah. part, yeah, 
and I got to the part where I was writing the Chanak in the mall and I wrote that line when the Chanaks finally come out, I actually had to stand up and switch on the lights <laughs> in the room because I got scared myself. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was your favorite bit of the that was your favorite story the Chanak the Chanak arc that's the Chanak story. Oh, well, it's one of my favorites. Uh, my favorite would still be the Darna story because uh-huh. that for me was like I felt like I was possessed. I sat down and, and just to go off on a tangent, that was written in a in the Starbucks near my office, fueled by a grande uh, brewed coffee, and I just uh, I just sat yeah. there and wrote. And I just kept writing and writing and writing. And by the time the coffee was finished, it was all written. It was all done. And how I, and the funny thing is, uh, when I was still working in Makati, I would go back to the same table, hoping the same thing would happen. That you know, but somehow that was just that was a one-time deal. <laughs> the spirit has left the building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Paul Medina Jr. gave a talk <sighs> one time our agency and that the same question was was asked you know how do you know your joke is funny and he said um and he said he says he doesn't know he doesn't know if it's funny but he said he needs to be smiling if he sees himself if he realizes he's smiling as he's growing something then he knows it's fun um and then he says he shows it to his wife who might suddenly say i am corny so sabinya and sometimes the trick is if the punchline is not funny he would then put brosha to just do an insult and just, you know, that's it. <laughs> right, right, right. So having a deadline really helped uh, me and Kadzo uh, finish the Trece uh, stories when we started. And and now, obviously, we're ignoring these deadlines. Um, but we gave... And, and, and if you think about it, back then, 2005 was the year Comic-Con started. Yes. So... Um, which has become the strangely enough the seasonal deadline for most comic book creators, right? Mm. They would start suddenly rushing their work because Comic Con is coming up. Um, but back then there was no Comic Con. Uh, we started it in June and we just said, okay, our deadline is July, and then we finished the first issue. So we said, okay, our deadline is August, um, and um, so. I think working in advertising, that's what we learned to respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the deadline is, you know, finished or not finished, pass your papers. Right, right. <laughs> but the thing is, um, <clears throat> that allowed, uh, it still meant it allowed us time for revisions. Not perfect, of course. Uh, and as you can see, Kajo has decided to redraw the entire first issue of Trece. Uh, for the global edition because again he wasn't you know given the chance I guess that's how he would have drawn it 13 14 years ago mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah I think giving yourself a deadline for a first draft and then the second draft um, and the third draft uh, for me the comic book uh, is is rewritten in those three stages I write it the first time as a script I rewrite it when I see the artwork from Kajo and then I get to rewrite it again when we start putting the word balloons in it. Uh, at least that's my advantage as a writer. For Kajo, of course, you know he has to you know edit himself earlier on because it's hard to redraw entire things. Right. 
Uh, and I just noticed I've rambled again. So I guess the simple thing to, <laughs> if I were to, to sum it up, it's like have fun, do it for yourself. Don't think of you know, don't think oh will people like my story? Oh you know, will this become a bestseller? That that's like your road to failure. You know, right. You to start thinking of those things. That's true. My favorite advice about asking for feedback was is from Neil Gaiman, and he said. Um, you know, show, after you're done, you've done your story, share it with people that you, whose opinions you trust. Mm. Yeah, but you know, but don't show it to your mom and dad who'll tell you, "Oh, that's very nice." Oh, good job. <laughs> um, I will love so you through, no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> so show it to people whose opinions you trust. And he said, if nine out of ten people say there's something wrong with your story. Listen to them. Mm. If nine out of ten people tell you how to fix your story, ignore them. Mm. Interesting, interesting. That's so you should still trust. Yeah, I mean, it's still at the end your story. So you know, because the moment people start giving you advice, oh, you should do this or this character should do that, then that's actually them bringing in their how they think it should be told. Um, and and. And yeah, it's you know, it's still your story at the end, because uh, you know the, you you could still ignore what they said, and you know at the end of the day, you could be the type of author that says, "Well, this is how I want to tell it," and if you don't get it or if you didn't like it in the end, well, then that's fine. Uh, but yeah, never no harm in always you know asking people for how what they think and how they feel about your story. Right. Right. Well, I was going to say earlier that, you know, I, I love the fact that you, you put the essence of fun in, in, in the beginning because this is exactly what we're doing right now. The reason why we're doing this is, number one, I enjoy doing this. I enjoy talking to you. You have no idea how much pleasure I am deriving out of this. Uh, <laughs> this is absolutely, absolutely pleasurable. And, and, and it's a great honor for me. So, it, number one, we cover that. The second part that I want to point out is that, you know, you, you you tell your story and that is yours. I agree. If if people try to tell you that uh, you should do it this way and not the other, well then again it's not it's not their story. It's 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 your story and you should know exactly what it is. But if they tell you there's something wrong with it, then yeah, go ahead and take a look into that. But there are disciplines that are in place. There are disciplines that you have to utilize and that you have to incorporate. If you really want to have fun, then you got to do it right. It's not just because you're doing this for fun and then just leaving it. There's an enormous amount of discipline that's required to do the things that you love to do. And it's just not very apparent for people who do these things because they just really enjoy what they're doing. They don't realize that they're putting a lot of work. Um, I don't know. I, I, I might be wrong, but, you know, when you there, there's a saying that uh, – um, you give a person, you give a man a job that he loves to do, and he'll never work a day in his life, and and that's that's exactly what you're doing with Tressa. This is exactly what I'm doing right now. To me, this is not work. This is, I hell, I don't even get paid for this, <laughs> and and neither will you. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs>